Hey, everybody. We want to thank you all who have supported the show. And anybody who is interested in supporting the show can check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash xchateau, or you can find the link on xchateau.com. We have over 100 episodes, and by becoming a patron, you can get access to 100-plus episodes. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights with your hosts, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. We're continuing our series on sustainability. And part of the definition of sustainability that is the newest part that Anna Britton, executive director of Napa Green, has included in the definition. It's communications and engagement around sustainability. And so that's what created her prior six pillars into seven strands of interconnected areas. Anna, why is communications and engagement around sustainability now part of the definition of sustainability? Yeah, I think originally it was this idea of the six pillars. And then we realized we've got to talk about communication, what we're doing right here today, right? If you're making sustainability and climate action a priority, I really think as a business, there's an onus to serve as an educator and to help people understand why this is important and especially what it means, right? That's why we're having these conversations is because people have been saying, what does sustainability mean? Does it really mean anything? Is it really rigorous? And so we really have to be willing to have these conversations. Over the years, I've had a lot of members say, well, I'm not ready to talk about this because I'm really good at recycling, but I'm not really good at energy yet. We have to be willing to be transparent and have those conversations. These are all really critical topics. None of us are perfect. And so we have to be willing to talk about what ideas do we already have that are going well and where could we use some more help and all talk to each other about what the opportunities are. So we realized we have those six pillars, but we have to be talking about all six of those pillars and why they matter and what they mean. And so we came up to the seven strands because it's all interconnected. This is all tied together and we need to be talking about all of these pieces. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, we are continuing our conversation or our series on sustainability in the wine industry. And our guest is Joseph Brinkley, Director of Regenerative Farming at Bonterra Organic Estates. Joseph, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Can you please give me and Peter a brief overview of your background? We'll start with Bonterra. I started with Bonterra Organic Estates in 2013 as a vineyard manager. I had some experience farming wine grapes in Napa with some higher-end producers there. Prior to that, spent some time on biodynamic farms on the East Coast. And this was after a degree in horticulture and a degree in economics. So I decided I really wanted to get kind of out of the cubicle and into the dirt. And then biodynamics basically led me to farming wine grapes. And then from the vineyard manager role, I've been with the company for a bit now moved up to the director of vineyard operations, where I was running the day-to-day operations of all the vineyards we were farming in the North Coast. And then I've more recently now transitioned to this role, which allows me really to be a spokesperson and help to message our role in the industry, really from like an education, outreach, and advocacy point of view around specifically our farming and a lot of our sustainability practices. So for those who aren't familiar, can you give us an overview and history of Bonterra? Where is it? What does it do, etc.? We were founded in 1968 as Fetzer Vineyards by the Fetzer family. And this was up in, in Mendocino County. And really the impetus from the beginning was what's good for the earth is good for the grape. And really, there was a emphasis on how we farm, farming sustainably in those days, and really looking kind of at our impact as a business. 
So Fetzer Vineyards was the beginning in, in the late 60s. And then in the late 80s, we moved into farming organically. We had an incredible garden where chefs would come, international chefs, and do like food and wine pairings. And it's common these days, but back in the 80s, it was not so. And really, the gardens were being farmed organically. And there was just this realization that the diversity of produce and the flavors and the quality of flavors and quality of produce was remarkable and had an impact, really. And at that point, the family decided or had maybe the thought of, well, if farming in this way can impact vegetable flavors and such to such a perceptible degree, then what could it do for wine grapes? And so really, that was kind of the beginning of the organic and regenerative organic farming and the Bonterra brand then, I believe 91 was the first vintage launched for sale. And we've been farming organically ever since up in Mendocino County. How big is Bonterra in terms of size of business or the types of wine that you produce? Where is it sold, et cetera? We have a few tiers. The Fetzer, kind of the mainline Fetzer brand is in that 5 to $6 price point. The Bonterra, the mainline Bonterra tier is like the 10 to $12 this year now, just recently, we've launched our Bontero Estate collection, which is featuring all regenerative organic certified grapes. And these will be all estate wines as of now. And then we also have some single vineyard selections through our biodynamically farmed ranches. So the, the newer tier, the Bontero Estate collection is in that kind of 20 to 20, maybe five or so dollar price point. And then the single vineyards are in that 40 to 60 and above. The single vineyard selections are really more kind of the on-premise selection, fine wines, shops, and restaurants and such. Whereas the other tiers, higher production and really widely distributed all over the U.S. and even internationally. And then as far as production, case production, we're talking probably about half a million on the Bonterra and then a handful of thousand, a couple thousand on the single vineyard selections, probably 10,000 or so in this new tier with the Regenerative Organic. So Bonterra has really evolved into a brand built around sustainability. Why and how did this occur? I'm curious on how it evolved over time. From the beginning, there was really an interest in doing what's right, sustainable business practices. So though it wasn't necessarily mainstream organics in the 80s, it was really a strong desire, even from the beginning, to derive our energy from solar panels, right? We were like early, early adopters of, of solar panels. The structure, the admin main facility in Hopland is a cob built structure. We were recycling before it was cool, you know, organic before it was cool. Even tracking and reporting greenhouse gas emissions before it was a push like a decade ago. So it's really been kind of a part of the ethos as far as making sure that the business practices are sustainable or regenerative minded, as well as the grape growing practices. So it's really been kind of part of the ethos, part of the DNA of the company from the beginning. So we'd love to focus on how Bonterra communicates its sustainability message, and maybe we can start with the name. The company recently changed its name from Fetzer Vineyards to Bonterra Organic Estates. What was the purpose and rationale behind that? It's really to, I would say, predominantly as a reaffirmation. You know, this is an affirmation of our commitment to regenerative organic farming. So instead of having kind of the company namesake from the founders 50 plus years ago, and knowing that Bonterra has had such a great impact in the marketplace. And oftentimes when I'm in the market, it's like synonymous with like organically grown wine or wine made with organic grapes, the Bonterra 
I hear oftentimes like, I want something organic, kind of like Bonterra. So it's really great to have that awareness, I'd say, in the market, in the consumer consciousness. And really this name change was really to put a larger stake in the ground to say like we are committed, not in one brand, but really the whole business approach. Do you think this impacted the view externally from consumers or others or the press of about Bonterra versus Fetzer? Does that give them a different perspective on what Fetzer Bonterra is? We've seen a really fantastic response to the name change, whether it's from the trade, from within the industry, from press and different publications, consumers as well. We've gotten some great feedback. Press-wise, we had really great momentum last year when the name change was announced. And it's really like the Chronicle, sorry, San Francisco Chronicle, (laughs) there's probably more than one Chronicle, published an article, as did Forbes. And there's just a real great kind of uptake of this name change and shift and kind of recommitment, I would say. It wasn't people saying, oh, I thought it was named Bonterra anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, you know, formerly we were Fetzer Vineyards with a brand named Fetzer. So now we have a brand Bonterra and the business Bonterra Organic Estates. I think it was positively received knowing that we've been in this game for many decades now. And what about internally for employees or maybe your partners? How did that name change impact sort of the culture or how people look at the company internally? I would say we've got some great long-term employees. So one of the, I think, results of our business practice and the way we treat internal and external partners and employees included is that there's a fair amount of longevity. And so I think for first this huge kind of undertaking as a rebrand. And so for some of our employees that have been with us for many decades now, I'm sure it was a bit of an adjustment. But really, I think on the whole, the overall workforce has been really quite excited about this shift. And also that it's really kind of, again, showing that this is our North Star. This is the commitment moving forward into the next phase. Certifications are becoming a big element of proving that a winery is sustainable. Bonterra has gone through many of them, like a B Corp, Regenerative Organic, Climate Neutral, and True Zero Waste on top of the organic farming. Why are these certifications important to you in Bonterra? From my perspective, and from the company really perspective, it's critical, I would say. Y'all are familiar, I'm sure, as most of us are. There's a lot of claims in the world. There's many, many products trying to differentiate themselves, lots of claims. And for us, it's imperative that the claim is backed up by a verified certification. So we can go out there and we can say whatever it is we think that is trendy or people want to hear or whatever. But in order to go through the process of having third parties come in, audit, verify, and really ensure that level of integrity and accountability to the consumer so that they know it's not just us claiming the claim, it's also been backed up, verified, really kind of rigorously checked out. And I think that's really quite crucial. And we've seen that really the marketplace also has really accepted that and is happy to know that there's some claims that you can rest assured in. It's not a bit of sleight of hand or some color washing. There's a lot of different certifications out there these days. Are there some that you would consider as gold standards, ones that are well understood or kind of well-established in terms of their pedigree, in terms of what they mean, or that people grok that as a consumer? Because there's new ones coming out all the time or slight nuanced differences between some of them. I think that that question is quite robust. 
I would say maybe break that out. So as far as robustness of certification, that gold standard that you're speaking of, I think on the overall, like how are we approaching and doing our business? That's the B Corp. I think B Corp has really attained that best of class because they're looking at so many different realms of business. Not only how are you treating the land, how are you treating your people, how do you interact with and support and provide something back to your community? What about your sourcing, your energy use? I mean, it's really quite all-encompassing. And to see the companies that are a part of B Corp and kind of early on and gaining more and more members, it's really, I would say, for the overall kind of business approach, B Corp was one of those gold standards. When it comes to, you know, we have the zero waste certification as well. So it's like, What about your waste streams and such? So that's a solid certification. And then on the farming side, you know, we've really felt like we've been organic since before organic was federally regulated. And that's been a place where people, I think, can trust in this federally regulated process and seal. We also went into biodynamics, knowing that that's really another kind of gold standard of farming practice. And then most recently, the regenerative organic certification through the Regenerative Organic Alliance is really, I feel like, that next level kind of gold standard. Because in some ways, it's not only how are we treating our land, kind of how we interact with our environment piece that's covered in the organic and the biodynamic. That's also a big part of the rock certification. But additionally to that, there's a social pillar where we're ensuring and the consumer can be rest assured that we're treating our farm workers and our farmers well. They're being paid a living wage, right, which is in addition to a minimum wage, that they have the power to organize, that if they have grievances, issues with management, they can feel safe in bringing those up without fear of repercussion. So really, I think that is kind of this next level of gold standard, especially around agricultural products. I'm curious on how you see consumers viewing these or understanding these because I think B Corp might be a little foreign for most consumers. Regenerative organics is relatively new. Obviously, biodemic is understood by a lot of consumers or even consumers looking for biodemic wine. So I'm curious on how do you see consumers understanding these as you get them and how do you explain them to consumers so they understand them? Right. What I see, I do a fair amount of travel into markets any longer because my role really is outreach, education, and advocacy work. And it really is dependent, I think, on the market. So typically trends and like awareness and such, I would say, start from the coasts and move their way inward, barring some of the like the hippest, coolest kind of cities or whatever, right? Austin and Boulder, Denver or whatever, Chicago or something. But for the most part, depending on the demographic and the geography of that community, I think there's a pretty significant difference or gap in understanding what these certifications are. So I was recently at the B Corp Champions Retreat in Philly, and there was like 600 some business representatives and such. So it's clearly growing. The Regenerative Organic Cert is up to 500,000 acres plus and a bunch of farms and farmers and whatnot. I think it's really determined by maybe the food culture of the individual or kind of that community. And also The demographic, definitely, we see younger generations more aware and more interested in some of these certifications and approaches to doing business. And a lot of it, I think, depends on even the geographic market where we find ourselves. I was buying a car over the weekend because I told him my other one, 
the salesperson was like, I've never heard of that. What do you do? What is that? But then you go to some markets, right? And they're like, yes, regenerative, they're all about it. It's really interesting to see how kind of consumer awareness and consciousness shifts through time and through geography. I am curious, as a follow-on to that, how much the certificates matter at different price points? As you said, you had a couple different offerings in the wider lineup. And I'm curious on if the certificates at different price points are more meaningful or more impactful from a business perspective. That's a really great question. So some of our certifications are business-wide. B Corp covers our whole entire business. Every brand we produce, everything we do is within the B Corp umbrella. And then some of the certifications, like I forgot to mention a minute ago, the climate neutral and even the regenerative organic are more brand specific. And so I think in some ways it's trying to marry the consumer interest and concern at a certain price point with the certification that we feel like they're most either attuned to or interested in. If we were to put every certification stamp on every bottle we made, then there's not going to be a whole lot of landscape left on that label for the rest of the label or the name or the photo or picture or whatever, you know. So often it's trying to understand through market research and data collection and such and surveys and whatnot at any given kind of tier or price point, What is the consumer most interested so that we can communicate to them that you're interested in this and we are doing that? That's as far as kind of label real estate goes, if you will. Of course, if you go to the website, then you can find all kinds of the practices, all the certifications we do. But for each individual tier, I think it's really important to kind of connect that tier with the overwhelming consumer interest. We found that the zero waste was a really big ticket item for folks. Being kind of organically minded, we we often thought that organic was the most important thing. And then doing some research, we find that actually in certain price points, the zero waste people were kind of interested in knowing about. So a lot of it has to do with being in touch, I think, with your consumers and with your kind of pricing tier. This is super interesting details. I'd love to like dive a touch more into that. So like true zero waste, at what price point? Did that resonate more with consumers? Just because it's some of it's awareness, right? And I'm assuming that at a certain point, consumer segment will be more aware of that. Even if it was an umbrella blanket across all your things, you'd put it on the ones where it's going to resonate the most, right? And so I'm curious on what price point that actually, from your research, resonated the most. I'd say in that kind of 15 and below is where we found that that was really resonating with folks thinking about landfill and impact of our consumption choices on landfill and such. So that did seem to really kind of bubble to the top in those tiers. And I'm curious in terms of organic versus the regenerative organic, does adding that regenerative organic, obviously there's more of a cost in terms of doing the regenerative organic versus regular organic. Does it also enable your product to get into another price tier with having that label over just regular organic? Is that something that you found? And at what price point is that? Let me follow on to that last question. Well, this continuation of the question. So the zero waste on those kind of more entry point and premium type category, and then the biodynamic really seems to resonate at like the higher super ultra premium type category, right? We make sure that that's known on those single vineyard selections at the 40 to 80 point price points. But now to your next question, I think we'll still see this is a brand new launch just this month, the beginning of this year with this Regenerative Organic Certified label, a Chardonnay and a Cabernet. And we're really thinking, we'll see, but at that price point, at that 22 plus or minus 
not only is it kind of the next level of farming certificate, it's also currently a state fruit, but also really focus on Mendocino County. You know, to really like show what a gem, kind of an unknown in many circles as far as wine goes, gem of wine production we have as far as the climate and the soils and such. So really, I think we'll see here in a bit of time is that extra certification with a different appellation really going to resonate at that price point with consumers. Okay, so it's kind of like a pyramid. You have like organic, then you're going to have your biodynamic that has a little bit more sense of place in terms of a single vineyard. And then you're going up to regenerative organic with a higher price point and even more focus on a location. I think those are a bit interchangeable, the biodynamic and the regenerative. What I see that really sets the regenerative organic apart is this focus on the workers. So within this kind of like regenerative movement, sustainable, it used to be called ag, the organic and the biodynamic are really, really focused on how we treat the soil and our animals if we're producing animals or animal stewards. And so the regenerative organic coming from Rodale and Patagonia and Dr. Bronner's really wanted that as the baseline, organic as the baseline, really great soil health practices, cover cropping, animal integration and such, and also assuring that we're taking care of our workers. I'm hopeful, I'm assuming, which can be a little dangerous at times, that that extra focus on ensuring and certifying, essentially verifying that we're treating our workers well, well paid, well compensated, that that also will resonate kind of at a different frequency with consumers. I got that a little confused. So from the viticulture perspective, the biodynamic and the regenerative, there's a huge overlap. And the regenerative agriculture also goes into other areas outside of just the viticulture side in terms of how you're taking care of the employees and things like that as well, right? So you're using them interchangeably. That's right. To some degree, biodynamics has been around for, what, 100 years. And there's some degree of awareness, I would say, in the wine consumer and maybe higher end wine consumer. You know, there's been more kind of press and talk through the last decade or two about biodynamic farming, really specifically in wine. However, it's a bit esoteric at times. We typically don't have a lot of times, a lot of interface with our customers, with our consumers. And so nobody has time for an hour long seminar on what the heck biodynamics is. So those kind of more esoteric parts, though some people are super into them and really care and want to know, depending on the market and how much time you have with folks, there can be a quick kind of glazing over of the high and like, what the heck are you talking, what are you talking about? I think when folks are super into it and really know kind of the quality that comes from producers, then it's a draw where the regenerative organic, those are pretty simple approaches to quite easily communicate in a shorter amount of time. So all these certifications, do you have a cost associated with doing them? You have to pay someone to come certify them. You have to change a bunch of practices that potentially cost more money. What is the cost of doing these various certifications? That's right. There's maybe the production cost. There's all the record keeping that's required. And then there's the cost of the inspector and the fees to use that certification. So each one of them definitely comes with a cost on top of it all. But again, for us, we haven't certified, you know, everything that's come out, obviously, but the ones that we feel resonate with us that are at kind of the highest standard we can find for that specific kind of category, if you will. And we feel like, you know, it's really important because we think this is important. We want to tell consumers that this is our approach and therefore this is the certification that we're going to use to back us up. We've seen a few in the regenerative space and very few 
require organic as the baseline. So that was really, you know, a huge attraction for us to the Regenerative Organic Alliance and their certification was that it's a baseline of organic. There's a lot of talk about regenerative anymore in the world. And there's a lot of definitions and people doing it with chemicals, without chemicals, whatever, you know. So for us, we're looking for kind of the highest standard that will certify for that one area. And then we certainly look at the cost and feel like it's completely worth it to hold that level of integrity and accountability. So for other wineries that may be interested in doing something like this, is it thousands of dollars? Is it tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds or millions of dollars to do the certification? Both like in terms of total dollars and then cost per bottle, right? Like is this a penny or like a dollar a bottle, right? Like what's kind of the range to give people a sense of how expensive is doing this? It's a little challenging to get to the exact price point just because each certification looks at it slightly differently. But each one, I would say, is in the thousands. It's not pennies or dollars. It's not millions, but it's certainly thousands. Some of them are based on kind of royalties and how much wine with that stamp on it you've sold and they want a percentage of that. Everyone requires you pay for the inspector, their time, their travel, their fees. So there's a handful of hundreds right there. Then to go through the process and then to get the certification and then to put the certification on and each one does it a little bit differently, whether it's based on revenue or based on sales or based on gallons or volume or size. But we're talking for our size, a lot of it's dependent on volume or revenue dollars. But for us, we're talking many thousands of dollars for each one. And that's before we haven't talked much about the climate neutral, but then there's like offsets on the climate neutral side too. So I would say before that piece, we're talking many thousands of dollars for the total. Now, obviously, when you break that down per bottle, depending on your volume, it's not a lot of dollars per bottle, but it's certainly a cost. And we haven't charged a premium either. So if we stick with Bonterra and the organic line, we don't charge a premium for that organic certification or that organic label. It's certainly like on the balance sheet, right? That's coming into the margin, if you will. But for us, again, it's just this is the commitment and this is what we're going to do and this is the way we're going to do it. I don't know that folks know if you just claim to be organic, right? Like we're air quotes, organic, mostly, sometimes, usually, whatever, fill in the blank, and you have some issue in the vineyard, say, you can spray a prohibited product, and then the following year, you're still back to your air quotes, mostly organic or whatever. If you're in the certification, though, any use of a prohibited substance knocks you out of that certification for a minimum of three years. So it is really, I think, a strong stance in our integrity and our accountability and our commitment to, in this case, farming in this way. Building on that thought process, how do you think about the ROI or return on investment of certification and what are the financial benefits of doing these certifications? We are business to make money. We're not backed by a foundation or you know, a philanthropist or something. So we have to make money at the end of the day to maintain our business practices. So there's definitely a consideration. We look at what the cost is and what kind of that, like you said, the ROI, what is that return on this investment? And it truly is. I think that's a really good way to look at it because it is an investment. It's an investment in our people and an investment in our consumer slash customer family, if you will, right? We find that consumers have a degree of loyalty when they know that you're doing what they feel is right for the people, for the earth, for the product, for them, for the community and such. So at some point, I think it's really about making sure that our practices align with our ethos and it's 
greater than any one individual, say, on the team. If we go through this process and it's kind of cross-department, cross-functional to get a lot of these certifications accomplished, you know, over the finish line, it takes a team of folk from different departments. And because of this commitment, it's not like any one person comes along one day and is like, oh, we're not doing that anymore. So it really is, I think, investing in our approach and kind of who we claim we are and who we continue to show we are. And so you mentioned that you don't take charge a premium for certifications, so less of a price element. So getting more customer retention, as you mentioned. So you're hoping that or you're estimating when you do these that you're going to get a greater sort of market share volume pickup, I guess, from having these certifications. It's kind of like the approach to farming. It's really a long term play. We're looking at the long term. That's why I think that terminology of investing really works well, because we're not looking to kind of squeeze the margin, make the most profit per bottle this year, and then hope we have another play for next year. It's really at how are we going to operate in the world, in in the marketplace, and know that what we're doing is really building a brand for the future. And so that we're sticking to kind of this North Star, this ethos of this is the way we're going to approach business. This is the way we're going to do it. And though it cuts into the margin, we are banking on consumers being willing to stick with it and to appreciate it and to tell their friends and family and others. And really, you know, you can see the growth of Bonterra, for example, over the last, say, decade that it really has paid off. I mean, from maybe 200,000 cases to 500,000 plus cases, right? So it's really like growing the base, not trying to squeeze the most out of every individual bottle. Makes sense. A few years ago, as we're talking about that growth that you saw in overall production, Ontario launched a big campaign called The Delicious Taste of Saving the Planet. Can you describe the elements that comprise that campaign? Really, this is a huge effort by the brand team. Our brand team came together. We know in wine, right, at some point it's a little off-putting. There's, for some reason, like all these rules and you got to do it right, you got to say it right. And for what? I mean, we're thinking to ourselves, like, how can we make this more palatable? Not literally, but metaphorically, right? There's no reason why people should be afraid of wine or whatever. So really, I think the brand team, plus this huge 360-degree activation kind of around it, And then focusing the commercial and the social and the PR and and all this on, hey, let's kind of poke fun at ourselves at some point, you know, ourselves as the industry. And it was just a genius move by our team to just be like, instead of these notes of current or gooseberry or whatever, right? It's like, this smells like CO2 reduction or, you know, I don't remember all the pieces to it, but it was really like a genius, I'd say, move on the brand side. And I'm curious on how did the brand team assess which types of media they want to invest in and roll out this campaign through? I think that's definitely shifting. We see kind of consumption, if you will, media consumption really changing through the years and through demographics. So it's more kind of these shorts, these little short bits, you know, snippets. I don't know that anybody has an attention span of much any longer. So like, how can we get this out into the world in kind of the most effective ways and then be able to kind of link to it, repeat it, share it, move it that way. So really being kind of a prize of where the media consumption is happening to really take advantage of getting it in front of a a lot of people. And did you find certain media channels like social media or Instagram or YouTube more effective than others? 
for the taste like saving the planet, it was really the video ad and really that kind of making fun of these cliches and these things around tasting wine where you feel like you got to say it a certain way, do it a certain way. So that video ad and then just getting other people kind of sharing it and thinking it's clever or whatever. And things really move quickly anymore these days. So was it mostly a paid ad and was that on TV or where was it featured? Mostly it was TV channels and a lot of social. I think probably the biggest uptake and capacity to move it through the world was through social. And how did you guys think about measuring the reaction to the campaign or the financial return on that investment? Was it through social media reach or how did you think about that? That's right. Yeah. So there's definitely some media metrics we can look at. And then really the growth. I mean, just the brand growth overall. You see Bonterra from the prior year launching that campaign and then just the sales and depletion numbers and really how the brand grew. So that's something that's definitely looked at. And then there's some other kind of media type metrics to look at to see how many times it was shared and how it really got out there in the world. So you're in the process of launching a new campaign called Cultivate the Future, focused on regenerative organic wines. Can you give us a little bit more details on that campaign? That's right. Yeah. So again, this kind of growing awareness, depending on the market and some curiosity, right? There's this word regenerative that seems to have kind of usurped the word sustainability, but it's being used in different ways, being talked about differently, being defined slightly differently and whatever. I think at the end of the day, that's really what we're talking about is the future, right? It's not farming for the now, it's farming for the future. So this idea of cultivate the future, really to help bring the awareness of regenerative organic farming, and then to really try to help people understand and educate on what this approach to farming looks like, what it means to us individually, to the community level, and to the macro as well, really to kind of educate folks first, because you find some people are really familiar with regenerative, regenerative organic even, and some are not at all, like I said earlier. So really, how can we use this campaign, not only to drive awareness of ourselves, but to really to drive awareness of regenerative organic farming practices across the world and across brands? You know, there's a lot of other brands that aren't wine that are doing this as well. And is that something that the other regenerative organic agricultural products or even wines or wineries would be working together with? Or is this just something that Bonterra on themselves is going to drive this messaging. I got to think that it's kind of a thing that would benefit a wider swath of the outreach in order to educate the consumers. Because I get the impression that the average consumer like knows the word regenerative, but doesn't really know the nuts and bolts of what it means. Many ways that like they know biodynamic means something related to wine, but they don't know all the ins and outs of it. I think our approach has been to lead the way and bring others along with us. So instead of like, you should do it this way, our approach has been this kind of modeling of the way, right? This is the way we're doing it and it's working. And if you want to learn more, come check us out, come by, let's talk about it. And so it is a effort within the community of regenerative organic farming. So there'll be an event outside of uh, Expo West in March, and we're doing a producer event in Mendocino County in April. So really it's like, how can we educate, but then how can we also bring others together, other brands, other farmers and producers that are also farming in this same way, that are also certified through the Regenerative Organic Alliance? And how do we collectively try to educate to our consumers, to our different sectors and such? Not everybody drinks wine, but there's a lot of kind of crossover for some consumers. And then there's some individuals as well that maybe don't cross over. So really like 
how can we collectively move the awareness, consumer understanding forward? It's not unlike a lot of our work in advocacy. We advocate for greener type business practices, say more sustainable approaches to doing business, regenerative organic farming practices through the Farm Bill and other policy, whether it's state or federal policy. And we found in that realm the same that if we can come together as like a unified entity of quote unquote business, then there's more traction. You get more ears, you get more attention. It's not just me saying we need to do this. Within the room here, we've got a lot of businesses with these same desires and interests and such. And I think education is the same. Let's come together because we all have a common interest and we're all trying to do what we feel is right. So together, collectively, we have a larger reach and maybe a stronger message. So for your Cultivate the Future campaign, what are the key marketing elements or channels that you'll be using to promote this message and get it out there? And how is it differing from the delicious taste of Saving the Planet campaign? It's really heavily into the messaging. It's really about how are we going to create a better, a healthier, more kind of vibrant, resilient, even future. And I think it's really going to be quite similar as far as the channels go. I mean, when you find the channel that works, you keep using it as long as it still works. And at the moment, I think social channels, there'll probably be some other kind of more traditional type channels of marketing and such. But for the most part, I think the social does well. We'll put together some events. We'll be throughout the country with some events as far as kind of wine dinners go, but then also press events, some media coverage and such. And so I find really it's kind of like this multi-pronged thing, right? Like you have to be in a place so people can actually taste the product and get to know it, ask questions and such. But then you also get kind of trade media interested and they'll help promote the message and then also kind of lifestyle media interested and they'll help promote the message because you find that there's a lot of overlap once you start talking about treating the earth well, treating your workers well. What are we doing for the future and basically for the consumer? It's a bit reciprocal, right? We're producing a product that we want to exchange for your dollars, but there's also some added benefit to not only the flavor and the quality and the feeling that you get from lovely wine, but you also can kind of feel confident that purchasing decision that you made, you're voting for an entity that is doing the best they can for their community, their people, the micro and macro effects of operating, doing a business. Just to dive a little bit on that, continuing to use social parts, social media has changed so much in the last few years. Will that change how much time you guys are spending promoting the campaign on? Instagram versus TikTok or Snap or anything like that? That's a really great question that we have experts on the team for, which I am not. I can go all day on regenerative farming and farming practices, but which social media channel is? <laughs> but I think you're right, right? I mean, it's like an incredibly quickly evolving landscape, isn't it? I mean, at some point you're like, yeah, Facebook ads work. And then you're like, no, 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 no more Facebook ads, right? It's so quickly evolving and shifting and changing. I'm confident that our experts, our key folks are on top of it. But I, in the sense of me acting like I know exactly how this is going to unfold, I best not go too far on that. <laughs> Got it. So for the wine industry in general, what are some key tips and takeaways that you can share for others to effectively get their sustainability message across to consumers? I really think first is kind of a self-reflection. What is it that you're doing that you can 
message. That's one of the areas I think that we get ourselves into some trouble, right? Attempting to message something that you feel is trendy, but it's a bit of a stretch for you to claim it. I'd say first and foremost is that piece around integrity, making sure that whatever you're putting into the world, make sure it's legit coming from you. And then after that, you know, there's so many resources out there. I mean, I think if anyone has an inkling to move into a direction of where they're getting their energy, how they're using their energy, how they're farming, how they're treating their people, there's a lot of references out there. I mean, we make ourselves available to help anyone that really has an interest, a keen interest in shifting how they're doing business. At that point, I think it really makes sense to put a certification behind it. I know there's definitely a cost to it. But then I think it kind of alleviates this feeling that business is trying to pull one over on us, right? They're claiming this thing, but can we really trust them? Are they actually really doing what they're saying they're doing? So the more I think we can get a bit of a momentum behind, like, this is the claim, this is what we're doing, and this is the verification for it. And then, yeah, let's put it out there. Let's congratulate ourselves and join together with others. You know, we really feel like we're going above and beyond and doing the best we possibly can. So we like to wrap up each episode on a personal note. And so we'd like to know, what was the most memorable wine you've drank over the last year and who did you drink it with? My good friend Tim brought over a bottle of bubbles just the other day, kind of an early birthday celebration, late New Year's celebration. And my wife, Agatha, and my buddy Tim and I, we popped that thing and it was some lovely sparkling wine. And it was not a small bottle, but we all had a great time and felt great the next morning. We didn't overdo it. Great, great. Thank you for sharing. We appreciate you sharing about how Bonterra is communicating sustainability and regenerative organic wines to their consumers and sharing all your insights. Yeah, thank you both. This has been great. Don't forget to support the show at xchateau.com or patreon.com slash xchateau. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers.